In a world where uncertainty reigns supreme, where shadows of chaos dance at every turn, one truth emerges unyielding. Preparation is not a luxury, but a lifeline. Behold the Wellness Company, a beacon of readiness amidst the tempestuous seas of fate. Envision a sanctuary of tranquility, where the tumult of unforeseen medical crises finds no purchase. The Wellness Company's Medical Emergency Kit stands as a bastion of assurance, a fortress of resilience against the unseen foes of health. Within its sacred confines lie the tools of salvation. Ivermectin, to ward off the insidious whispers of disease. Emergency antibiotics, to quell the raging storms of infection. Antivirals, to vanquish the relentless tides of contagion and more. The Wellness Company Medical Emergency Kit is not merely a collection of supplies. It is the embodiment of preparedness itself. Crafted by the hands of esteemed healers led by luminaries such as Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. James Thorpe, Dr. Harvey Risch, and Dr. Drew Pinsky, this kit stands as the pinnacle of safety, the zenith of prevention. These truth-seeking doctors have forged a testament to vigilance, a testament to the unwavering pursuit of well-being. Embrace the certainty that comes from being armed against adversity. Embrace the Wellness Company, for in its embrace lies the promise of resilience, the promise of a brighter tomorrow amidst the chaos of today. Don't wait for the next crisis to strike. Visit twc.health forward slash strange planet and use promo code strange planet for an exclusive 10% discount. Prepare today and rest easy tomorrow. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Richard Serrett's Strange Planet, following the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from the Great White North and his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard. Welcome once again to another edition of Strange Planet. And on this episode, uh, it's one thing to be uh, good stewards of the planet and the environment. And I think we all agree that's important. Um, and, you know, setting aside one day of the year, maybe Earth Day, to rem um, remind us about that, not necessarily a bad thing either. Uh, but now they're talking about coming for not only our cars, uh, they're also coming for our gas stoves. Uh, to me, uh, this entire environmental movement is really, <laughs> uh, well, what, what's that old expression? The, the cheese is sliding off the cracker. Uh, we're going to talk about um, climatism and uh, what I call the cult of climate change uh, during this episode. Steve Gorham is back with us. He's executive director of the Climate Science Coalition of America, author of three books on energy, climate, and uh, sorry, climate change and sustainable development with over 100,000 copies in print, Outside the Green Box, Rethinking Sustainable Development, The Mad, Mad World of Climatism, Mankind and Climate Change Mania, and the brand new one that's uh, going to be available August 1st is Green Breakdown, The Coming Renewable energy failure. Steve Gorham, welcome back. How are you? Hey, Richard. Great to join you again. I'm doing well. And you mentioned uh, you mentioned Earth Day, uh, which happened a couple weeks ago. Yes. Uh, and a little history on that. The first Earth Day was in 1970. And at that time, the environmentalists were concerned about air pollution and water pollution and uh, nuclear proliferation and nuclear fallout. And those were some real issues. Uh, my 
my uh, grandfather had a uh, coal furnace in Chicago in the 1950s. And uh, every time it snowed, after about four or five days, there would be a black coating on the snow. And, uh, and the air was not, not very, very good. I remember driving past Gary one time uh, where the steel mills were, and we had our car windows coated with something. We had to stop and, and wipe off the windows uh, that was in the air. Uh, but we've come a long, long way. We, all of the states in the 50s and 60s passed air pollution control laws, and we had the first laws passed by Congress in 1970 or so, Clean Air Act. Uh, but the, the movement, the environmental movement has gone off the rails, as you say. Uh, uh, we cleaned up the air, we cleaned up the water, and now they've gotten into this uh, global warming issue. Uh, they've, they've seized it, it's become the, the basis for existence for many, many environmental groups that humans are causing dangerous climate change. And when you look at the data, and I think we discussed this uh, in January, you really don't see evidence for that. Uh, we've had only one degree, 1.2 degrees Celsius of temperature rise since 1880. And uh, we've had a lot of warmer times in the past. If you go back to the last 10,000 years, periods that were multi-century long that were warmer than today. Today's temperatures are not abnormally warm. Nevertheless, the world is spending over $500 billion a year on this, uh, this situation. And of course, as you say, this is now, uh, now they're trying to force everybody to get an electric car and take away everybody's gas stoves and do uh, many, many other things, uh, stop eating meat and many other things. So uh, we're in the midst of, you know, you talk about strange planet. We are in the midst of the biggest superstition in modern history. The idea that a trace gas from our industry uh, can be causing dangerous climate change. And it's going to take decades for people to get back to their senses, I think. Um, the, um, the idea that carbon dioxide, which is like, you know, we call it the miracle molecule, it's responsible for life on this planet. Yep. Um, that is, uh, what is it, 3% of the atmosphere uh, by volume, 3%? No, it's less than that. It's four molecules in every 10,000. Sorry, yes. It's about it's about 0.04%, very, very small. Right. And I you're right, it is, it is one of the three big oxygen, water, and carbon dioxide are the, the molecules of life. They call, cause all plants and all animals on Earth to flourish. And without carbon dioxide, we would have a, a very different situation. So, um, yeah, I think you're right. It's uh, 0.04% or something like that. And we, uh, I had it backwards. Uh, man's contribution to CO2, obviously the oceans are uh, producing a lot of CO2 and so forth, but man's contribution to that 0.04% is what? Is it 3%? 3% of- No, my estimate is it's about one part in 20. Okay. Um, if you look at uh, uh, what nature puts into the atmosphere every day, uh, from the oceans, from the biosphere, from volcanoes and all the rest. Everyday nature puts about 20 times as much CO2 in the atmosphere as all of our industries and removes about the same amount. And so it's, it's a very, very small portion. Nevertheless, uh, computer modelers have been projecting and others have been projecting that this small change is, is causing dangerous problems. And uh, what are we at? About 440 parts per million uh, in terms of CO2 concentration right now? Roughly? It is, it's 0.04%. Yeah. So uh, Yeah, we're at about 420 uh, parts per million. Right. Uh, and so historically, it's a very, that's very pretty small low. number. Historically, yeah. where is that in terms of the geological record? Well, actually, the geological record, I don't like to go back too far, but many uh, geologists will tell you in, in Earth's distant past, uh, we had 4,000 parts per million, or 2,000. Uh, we're at about uh, uh, 420 today, and that was during ice ages as well. Uh, if you look at the, the temperature cycles of ice ages, you find they don't correlate very well with CO2. Uh, usually temperature changed and then CO2 rose later. But we went through many, many periods with, with a lot higher levels of carbon dioxide, and the earth flourished. We had plants all over. Uh, one of the reasons we have uh, oil and gas in Alaska is, if you believe the theories about fossil fuels, uh, we had plant life covering Alaska in those days when the planet was warmer and when we had very high levels of carbon dioxide. 
So the, the evidence doesn't really support the idea that CO2 is, is dangerous for the planet and that it's causing dangerous warming. So um, I read once where, you know, these great big tanker ships that are several football fields long uh, and they burn, I mean, the, the, the grade of fuel they burn is, is pretty dirty. I mean, it's, there is diesel and then there's like the bottom of the barrel. Yeah, so bunk, bunker fuel. Like bunker always. fuel. And I, I read that if you were to take just one of those um, tanker ships out of commission, I mean, it's the equivalent of, I don't know, like several million cars in terms of what they spew into the atmosphere. Uh, and I, don't even, know, I don't know if it's that high. The, right. Uh, people have characterized that. I think, um, I think ocean transportation is about 3 or 4% of all emissions. Um, airlines are roughly in there. Um, uh, carbon dioxide emissions I'm talking about, uh, but there are many, many, other, many, many other sources. All of our heavy industry is very heavy uses of, of hydrocarbons, steel, cement, uh, plastics, chemicals, uh, fertilizer. Uh, so so we, we use huge amounts of CO2, again, small in global terms, small in what, what the earth does every day, but huge in human terms which is one of the reasons that these ideas for carbon capture and storage and for uh, hydro switching to hydrogen fuel just are really not feasible. I guess the point I was going to get to was the, the idea of, you know, buying our oil uh, from Saudi Arabia or Venezuela and putting it on these tankers and sending yeah. it across here when we have so much uh, oil and gas here, for example, yeah. the recent announcements about uh, big oil and gas discoveries in Alaska. It's just sitting in the ground. They want to keep it in the ground, this, it's, this administration. Yeah, that was great. Well, the, the uh, discoveries have been known for some time, but I think they just approved the, uh, the Willow Project on the North Slope. The nice thing about this is now we can do this very, in a very environmental friendly way. Uh, they can set up a hydraulic fracturing pad which is about as big as a, two soccer fields, not real big. And they can go out a couple miles around this pad under the surface of the earth, of the earth at a depth of about five or 7,000 feet and take oil from all of that area uh, with horizontal drilling. And so the impact on the environment is going to be very, very small. And you also mentioned uh, natural gas. I think they've approved uh, what an, an LNG facility on the Kenai Peninsula now and the pipeline and uh, natural gas has become the, the, the latest uh, world hot commodity. <laughs> Last year we had prices skyrocket everywhere except the US and, uh, and now we're shipping a uh, liquefied natural gas all over the world and from Alaska, they're gonna be sending it to, to Japan and, and Korea and possibly China. And so that, that is really, really going to be good. The, the environmentalists really have been attacking natural gas but if you, if you look at the things that have reduced pollution in the last 40 or 50 years, natural gas is one of those that has a tremendous positive impact. All those coal furnaces in the United States were, were replaced by natural gas. We now have about 500 million uh, users in, in a combination of US and Europe, Northern Hemisphere using natural gas. There's still 70 million homes in Europe that are burning wood and wood puts off a lot of particles. Uh, you get indoor air pollution and you get other issues. When you put a natural gas furnace in place of that wood, particulate matter goes down by more than a factor of 100, uh, close to a factor of 1,000. So natural gas is very clean burning, uh, a very, very good product for reducing air pollution. And indeed, it's the reason why, uh, if you think carbon dioxide emissions are important, it's the reason why in the United States that our emissions have gone down since we uh, have replaced many of the coal plants with, with carbon dioxide, with uh, natural gas. Again, though, I, uh, that, uh, that and a cup of coffee will get you, uh, uh, that and four bucks will get you a cup of coffee. So <laughs> right. we, we, should be, we should be after the real pollutants. You're right. Well, uh, we those, have. Those are uh, uh, plastic in the ocean. It's, it's uh, uh, a little bit overhyped, but we, we put about 10 million uh, uh, tons of plastic into the ocean every year. Uh, most of that is from Asia, uh, Africa, uh, developing nations, very little from the US and Europe. Uh, there's about 100 million tons out there. And uh, that's a problem to clean up. Also clean water around the world. 
we have the, we have uh, water purification throughout U.S. and Europe, but in many places in the world, uh, water is discharged untreated into oceans, lakes, and streams, and so we need to work on uh, purifying water. Uh, so those are key pollution issues to be reduced, but this elimination of carbon dioxide is is not the right the right path. Um, you mentioned natural gas, and Canada has lots of liquid natural gas, which you know no. could be selling to China, for example, and in reducing their dependence on coal-fired plants and India and places like that. Uh, unfortunately, our prime minister saw no business argument for selling uh, natural gas when Germany came calling. Um, it, it was a deal that could have been worth about a third of a trillion dollars. Uh, in revenue for Canada, but he couldn't see a business argument for it. So, um, well, he's he's been captured by the idea that natural gas is bad. I think he was talking about maybe doing hydrogen, mm. but that, but that is very very unproven. Uh, we can talk about that a little bit later, but it's it's expensive and it's hard to transport. Right. So the world um, or a certain portion of it seems to be stuck on this idea of uh, going electric. Uh, yeah. And, and um, you know, wind turbines and solar panels uh, transformed into electrical energy. Um, talk to me about w wind turbines. I know that now the, uh, the, you know, where is Greenpeace now? Where is Greta Thunberg now when they're talking about all of these uh, Atlantic right whales dying off the United States eastern seaboard as a result of this giant wind turbine project? Yeah, it is an issue. Yeah. Uh, um... A Canadian, what is his first name? Mr. Moore, uh, founder of Greenpeace. Uh, Patrick Moore, yes. Pat, thank you. <laughs> he just came out with a statement about a week ago saying that he he does think that the uh, sonar they're using to, to map the bottom of these areas where they're going to put in wind turbines is uh, interfering with the whales, uh, which do which use sonar themselves. And we've had a very high level of whales that are that are washing up in New Jersey and other places recently. Uh, still a lot of speculation as to whether that is is due to the wind turbine efforts, but uh, it, there seemed to be a lot of evidence that that this is a problem. So, uh, you know, and the other thing is, we're a million birds a year in the United States, and about the same number of bats who collide with wind turbines. And uh, it's a big, big problem. Matter of fact, the the U.S. Uh, uh, the U.S. government has given an exemption to to many wind turbine farms. They, even if they kill eagles, if they kill uh, protected species, uh, they are not called to the carpet for doing that. Uh, there are there are drawbacks with every source of energy, um, and uh, uh, wind and solar. You know, we can get into wind a little bit if you want. Uh, wind has three big issues. Uh, the first is a land area that's required. Uh, a question for your listening audience is, um, which is more uh, environmentally friendly? A, uh, uh, a power system that produces uh, one unit of, of electrical power for one unit of land, or one that takes 100 units of land to produce uh, one unit of power? And it seems obvious, but the answer is all the renewables require about 100 times more land than coal, natural gas, and nuclear. Uh, wind is some, something, somewhere between 85 and 100, and I'm sorry, 85 and 800 times as much land for wind systems. Uh, the, the, I'm sorry, it's 50 to 850. The 50 is if you just count the, the towers and the, the uh, concrete pads and the roads, but uh, you build it over this wide, wide area. And so, so that is issue number one with wind. The second, of course, is intermittency. Uh, when wind doesn't blow, you have, to be, you have to be backing up with other power plants. And there are some times when it just doesn't blow at all, particularly winter. Uh, during the Texas blackout, they were only getting about uh, between 5 and 10% of the rated output of the, of the wind system. And then the third one is just the cost. Uh, in January, I think I sent you a, a chart on... Uh, the uh, top 12 wind states in the United States versus the national electricity average. And it's clear that electricity rates in the top wind states are rising faster than the national average. And that's in part because you have to build transmission out to remote locations. So uh, wind tends to be uh, uh, first cover very, very large areas of land. Second, it's intermittent, so it can't do the job much of the year, including in the winter. 
And third, it's just uh, raises electricity prices. There's the other issue too, in terms of, you know, everyone talks about sustainability and, and uh, so forth, but these huge behemoth towers, these wind turbines, uh, I, I, I believe they only have a, like a, uh, an active life of about maybe 25, 30 years. And then what do you do with them? You gotta, you, you know, you can't, they're very difficult mm -hmm. to recycle. What do you do with these monsters? Yeah. Nobody knows how to recycle them really right now. Iowa is having a lot of these uh, uh, need to be replaced. They don't have landfills that will take them or a way to chop them up. They send them, so they send them to Nebraska to big landfills over there, they cart them off. Germany is, is uh, chopping them up and burning them right now. Uh, a number of them, but it is a big, big problem. And as we get more and more of these wind turbines, uh, we're going to have big landfill issues. Same thing with solar cells, same thing with uh, batteries from, from electric cars. Steve Gorham, we'll take a quick time out, come back and uh, continue to talk about uh, the cult of climate change. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. The truth will set you free. 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 But first, it will really tick you off. Welcome back to Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Steve Gorham is executive director of the Climate Science Coalition of America and uh, the author of Outside the Green Box, The Mad, Mad World of Climatism. Sorry, I missed a mad. <laughs> There's three mads. The Mad, Mad, Mad World of Climatism. And the latest coming out August 1st, I believe, is green breakdown the coming renewable energy failure um the uh, canadian government and combined with the provincial uh, government here in ontario just ponied up 14 billion dollars a subsidy to volkswagen so that they could build a um, an electric car uh, battery plant in uh, st thomas ontario which is southwestern ontario 14 billion dollars uh, well and uh, they're saying, well, this is going to produce 3,000 jobs. I mean, do the math. That's like uh, $4 million uh, per <laughs> employee. Uh, my fear is, I mean, you, if you look at um, the top five most popular vehicles in Canada, and I'm sure it's the same in the United States, the top five are trucks and SUVs. People yep. do not want electric vehicles. Uh, and I'm just thinking that a lot of these battery plants around the world, and I think a few have already closed in England before they even got started, these are going to be just giant white elephants. What are your thoughts? Well, they, there's going to be a terrific bloodbath for a lot of this. It is supported by government money to a big extent. And you're right, I think Canada has said uh, uh, all uh, zero emission vehicles by 2035 or yeah. something. Mm -hmm. So so <laughs> my first question is, uh, uh, you know, what are they going to do in the winter? <laughs> um, I've talked to a lot of people with, with electric vehicles. I was uh, speaking at one conference. The guy said my my wife had a Tesla. He lived in Cleveland. Temperature got down close to zero. And literally, the car would not charge. 
you lose a lot of driving range, but you get down below about 10 degrees Fahrenheit and your EV will not charge outside. You have to heat your garage. Uh, so if you don't have a heated garage in Canada, you're not going to be able to drive December through February. Now, I've got, a, I've got a garage in Chicago with a heater, but I never turn it on. I don't want to be paying all winter to, to heat my garage. Why would I want to do that? Make sure you add that onto the cost of your EV. But, but it really is crazy. And the idea that, that these governments have to force everybody to do this is the other thing. You know, we can't let the market play out. We have to, uh, green policies require coercion. <laughs> That's unfortunately the way it is. But I do see uh, tremendous problems. Ford lost $6 billion on their EVs in a quarter. Uh, GM was losing $66,000 per vehicle. Uh, and I think, the, uh, I think the EV world is about to hit a speed bump. Uh, they had a pretty big year. 13% of uh, light vehicles last year were electric vehicles. About uh, 7 or 8% in the USA. I don't know what it is in Canada. But this year, uh, things have flattened out. Uh, in England, in Germany, Germany reduced a lot of subsidies. Uh, we don't see the penetration. And I think there's a lot of people worried about charging problems. And the other thing that, that's happened is the price of electricity has gone up by a factor of three or four in Europe. And so charging at home has become more expensive than, than petrol, which has gone up about 40% in the same period of time. So, so they're no longer cheaper. Uh, the US, the other thing we have going on now is we have states that are introducing fees for electric vehicles. A big part of your gasoline is tax in there for roads for a diesel or a gasoline car. Well, EVs have been exempt from that. Now they're charging them $100 or $200 a year. And by the way, EVs are 50% heavier than a typical um, gasoline car. They should be charging them even more. Mm. Uh, so, so these things, you know, when, when things are small, uh, when you have zero market and you have a bunch of people that might be interested in a Tesla, you know, it's the latest thing. Uh, markets can grow very, very fast. But as they get bigger, you start to run into problems like waste and like cost and like, uh, uh, you know, all the little things like cold weather that, that people go, mm, you know, maybe this doesn't work for me. <laughs> right. They're talking about, you know, um, uh, fire trucks uh, buying the first uh, electric powered fire truck, I think. I'm not sure if it was Winnipeg, which can get down to like minus 30. And yeah. anyone who wants to know how the cold weather can affect a battery, just take your your uh, smartphone outside when it's, you know, minus 20 and watch the, uh, the power bar just like go down, down, down. <laughs> and so, you know, if the range is supposed to be for, I don't know, 400 kilometers on your electric vehicle, uh, and you've just reduced uh, your, your power by 40% because of the cold weather. Now, all of a sudden that's, you know, that's a hundred kilometers you're going to get. You're right. Gonna that's stranded. pretty significant. And if it's a fire truck or an ambulance, they, they are flirting with disaster. Um, so they are, and there's there's other little issues too. Just this week, I'm near Chicago. Uh, a guy was driving his Tesla by Elk Grove, and he felt the car start to vibrate. He stopped and got out, and the whole thing burst into flames. I sent you an image of that if you want to see it. Uh, you know, there are little things like this. Well, he he says he's obviously never going to buy an electric car again. Uh, there are little problems like this that that uh, crop up. And uh, to force everybody, thou shalt get an electric car, uh, you know, and governments are just way off. The, the other thing is, this is not going to have a measurable effect on global temperatures in any case. Uh, so uh, EVs are here to stay. They're going to grow. But I don't think they're going to be uh, the majority of cars uh, for many, many decades, probably about 15 or 20 percent of, of vehicles uh, globally. Today, there are just about 3 percent uh, by 2050. Is there enough lithium and cobalt in the world to replace even the entire fleet, let's say the United Kingdom, all the cars and trucks and buses? Is there enough lithium and cobalt in the world to do that? Yeah, that's, a, that's another big issue. Uh, uh, today we have, uh, we have electric vehicles are about 50% uh, more expensive than typical ones for a comparable car. And that vehicle cost gap is likely to persist. And the reason is the metals that go into the car. According to the International Energy Agency, an electric vehicle requires six times the special metals of a regular car. 
copper, lithium, cobalt, nickel, uh, requires more aluminum as well, about twice the amount. Uh, and these car batteries have to be pretty big. To get two or 300 miles, you have to have a thousand pound car battery uh, in your EV. That means you have to move about 500,000 pounds of earth to do that. And so the people that are projecting that EVs are gonna take over, we're gonna to need to increase lithium, cobalt, nickel, copper by factors of five or 10 globally. Uh, again, according to the International Energy Agency, it takes about 16 years to start up a mine from first conception to actual output. They're talking about copper mines. So this is not a quick transition. Uh, it's going to be very expensive. And then you have all the problems with, with these metals. Uh, the U.S. doesn't uh, make very many of them. Canada doesn't either. Uh, we get uh, most of our lithium from, from uh, Chile, South America, other places. We get cobalt from the Democratic Republic of, of Congo. Um, we're we mined by children. Yeah, where where they have forced labor and child labor in many cases, so that so that you can drive your Tesla in the U.S. <laughs> uh, and so there are all all sorts of problems with these. And, uh, uh, you know, it, it's uh, another thing is processing of these mines. Uh, China is the biggest processor of special metals in the world. A lot of this raw material goes to China where it's turned into metal and then shipped elsewhere. And so the U.S. and Europe, uh, by pushing EVs and demanding EVs, are creating a terrific dependency on China uh, for these metals. And, you know, with, the, with global tensions, that may not be the best thing to do. No. So, so again, getting into taking, asking the second question, find out what's going on, uh, shows a really ugly picture in a lot in a lot of ways. Uh, also, China using uh, you know the uh, minority Muslim population, the Uyghurs there again in slave labor. So you can hardly argue that an electric vehicle is an ethical choice. Plus, you have to you mentioned all of the um, the resources that go into producing these vehicles. Um, maybe it was you that told me this, Steve, or I read it somewhere that uh, you have to drive an electric vehicle about 100,000 kilometers before you basically um, um, have any CO2 savings. Right. Break even on the CO2. Yeah. I think that is that's a pretty good rule of thumb. The Again, the International Energy Agency says over the lifetime of a vehicle, um, EVs have about half the CO2 emissions. They don't have zero. They have about half of a gasoline or diesel vehicle. But again, you have to go uh, pretty close to 100,000 kilometers or 100,000 miles, uh, somewhere in there, before you break even because uh, so much energy goes into the EV battery in building it. And again, that depends on where you are. If you're in China, where they're getting 60% of electricity from coal, uh, I don't think you break even <laughs> uh, for a long, long time. So, um, uh, yeah, there, there are just a lot of issues. And, but the world is, is just driven by this. By the way, one of the big problems with this is that the governments of the world are forcing the automakers to do this EV transition. Uh, the EPA, for example, uh, says that the average gasoline vehicle with 22 miles per gallon uh, uh, capability emits 250 grams of carbon dioxide per kilometer. The current emissions limit in the U.S. is 114 grams, uh, less than half of that per kilometer. And the way automakers have been getting around it is they've been, they've been doing hybrids. They've been doing vehicle mixes of various things. They have some exemptions as well. But the EPA is tightening these. They also have uh, new mileage standards, uh, 49 miles per gallon by 2026. So the EPA is literally making it impossible for the auto manufacturers to produce uh, traditional cars. Hey, you know, I've got a, I've got a van, a gasoline van. I travel to uh, between Virginia and Chicago twice a, year, twice a year. I don't want an EV. Tell you what, I don't want one. But if the automakers can't produce them, unless something changes, this is the way it's going to be. It's going to be impossible to produce anything but an EV. Another issue is um, unless we all make them where we live, uh, transporting them across the ocean is going to be problematic because a number of um, – there was a, a case where I, I think it was a ferry they, and there was one electric vehicle on board. It caught fire. 
uh, the entire ferry went uh, went up, and now insurance companies are starting to say, "Listen, we're not going to insure. Uh, you, you're not going to put um, a thousand of these electric vehicles on a, a container ship. We're not going to insure it." Yeah, there was a big there was a big ship in Atlantic too that burned up and sank. That that was loaded with EVs. Uh, I haven't heard the exact details on that. You know, and this is this is kind of this is really scary stuff. Um, if you look online, you can find a couple films of buses burning up. There's one in China where there are people, the bus is on fire and people are literally jumping out of the door. Uh, there was another bus in, in Paris that was just sitting along the side of the road and uh, it went up in flames. Uh, nobody was hurt in that one. But, you know, uh, our, our president, our vice president uh, is is really been pitching electric vehicles for uh, electric uh, school buses. And I'm sort of like, well, you know, I tell my family, you should not be riding on electric buses because if that thing decides to combust, you're not going to get out of it. And all we need, you know, uh, Lord God, this never occurs, but all we need is a bus to go up with 20 kids on it or 30 kids. And people are going to re rethink things. Unfortunately, that's what it takes sometimes. All right, Steve, another uh, quick time out back, and uh, let's talk about residential gas fuel. They want to take that from us as well. Back with more of our conversation right after these. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. The truth will set you free. 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 But first, it will really tick you off. Welcome back to Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Steve Gorham is with us, Executive Director of the Climate Science Coalition of America and the author of Outside the Green Box, Rethinking Sustainable Development, The Mad, Mad, Mad World of Climatism, Mankind and Climate Change Mania, and the latest, which is out uh, August the 1st, I believe, of 2023, Green Breakdown, The Coming Renewable Energy Failure. So... Uh, now they're coming for our uh, our gas um, um, heating uh, furnaces and uh, gas burning stoves, which is not going to sit well with all of the uh, the restaurateurs in uh, in places like New York City. I mean, yeah. the best chefs cook with gas. That's it. Now we're cooking with gas. They don't cook on an electric stove. Um, they're trying to make up some story that that uh, these gas stoves, for example, cause asthma. There's absolutely zero evidence for that, from what I understand. You are right. Yeah, this has been going on for about five or ten years now, and, and it's growing stronger. They call it electrification, which used to mean getting electricity out into rural areas, but now it means uh, we talked about going to all electric cars, but also to going to all electric appliances. And so we now have a number of uh, a ban, uh, states that are banning it. Uh, California, Oregon, Washington, New York, Massachusetts, Maryland have banned uh, gas stoves and new construction. I think uh, Vancouver, maybe or British Columbia and Canada has done the same. And, and you're right, uh, there are concerns about health issues. There were a couple of papers earlier this year about this, how uh, a small particle pollution, a nitrogen dioxide, uh, supposedly linked to asthma. The thing is that, that uh, and, and even talking about uh, carbon monoxide deaths, but we've been using a lot more natural gas in the last 30, 40 years, and uh, it doesn't really support the concern. Uh, if, you, if you look at these health issues, first off, these papers, when you look at who is writing these papers, it's not the health industry. These are all 
uh, climate people. They're all people that are concerned about the climate. They're writing about health problems with gas stoves. And if you read most of these papers, you find out that the levels are very low parts per billion for nitrogen dioxide, for example, uh, much lower than the EPA's limit for indoor uh, NO2 pollution, about 50 parts per billion. So what they've done is uh, they did a recent study saying it got up to 100. And what they did was they sealed the kitchen in plastic <laughs> and they turned on the oven and the stove for two hours. That's the only way they could make, they had to create an artificial uh, uh, situation uh, to cause this, to say this is a, is a problem. People should be uh, uh, assured that if the gas stoves are operating properly, uh, that they don't have a problem with pollution. You also, you need a, you need a carbon monoxide detector, of course, in your house for your appliances, but outside of that, uh, gas stoves are safe. Uh, the thing about gas too is it's it's two or four times more expensive. I'm sorry, electric heat and electric cooking is two or four times more expensive than gas. Uh, so we have a war going on in the U.S. right now. In addition to those six states that have banned natural gas and new construction, we now have about 20 states that are prohibiting cities and counties from banning gas. And a matter of fact, there was just a big decision by the, uh, the Ninth Circuit Court on the West Coast of the U.S., They're usually a pretty liberal court, but they voted unanimously three to uh, on a suit where against the city of Berkeley, California, that was the first city to introduce a gas ban in the U.S. Well, the, the Restaurant Owners Association of California sued them, got up to the circuit court, and their, the Berkeley ordinance was overturned and they based it on the, uh, let me see if I can find it here. Um, it was the 1975 Energy Policy and Conservation Act of 1975 federal government, which prohibits uh, regulations that favor one type of fuel over another. So the Berkeley law has been struck down. I think a lot of these, uh, there's gonna be a lot of pushback in many, many states, New York, as you say, uh, these restaurant folks don't wanna cook on electric burners. They wanna use gas, it's cheaper and it's more effective. Well, um, I mean, we, we saw what happened in, in Texas uh, where you know people froze to death Yep. Texas, because of the, um, the reliance on wind, for one thing, and he had these t wind turbines freezing, of course, and then uh, the electrical grid just wasn't up to it. Um, it's If it's not up to it now, what do they think is going to happen in 2035 when they're bringing all these new electrical vehicle, new electric EVs, on, uh, or these new EVs on board? Yep. Stream, uh, plus, you know, people are going to have heat pumps instead of gas furnaces. Um, where do they think the electricity is going to come from? Yeah, it is a problem. The, the, uh, let me mention a study done by the, uh, the New England ISO, uh, Integrated System Operator. Uh, there are six states in New England. Five of them said we want to be 80% renewable by 2040 or 2050. And so they did a study to see if this was possible. And they had to include, as you say, electric vehicles but also a shift to electric appliances, which actually was more, it was quite a bit bigger than the vehicle change. And they said that um, uh, even with building 300% over capacity, three times the amount of, of renewables than they normally need and a whole bunch of batteries, they found that the system would fail 16 days a year and be subject at risk of fail for an additional 36 days even with 300% over capacity. So basically they really don't know how to do this. And by the way, this was for 50% wind. It wasn't going all the way. They had a bunch of other things. Um, the only place that's going to be able to approach 100% renewables uh, is a place like Washington State, possibly Canada, areas where we get large amounts of hydropower. Canada gets about, I think 60 or 65% of its electricity from, from hydropower now. So. If you have a big hydropower resource, you can get pretty close to, to 100%. But, but everywhere else uh, where you don't have that, it's, it's going to basically be impossible to get close to 100% renewables. Uh, well, because, because they also, they, 
the uh, the climate change cult, they turn up their nose at nuclear as well. So, which is, you know, they should be in favor of it. It's just very little CO2. They, they should. Want, they don't want they nuclear. Should. They have this pipe dream, emphasis on the pipe of um, of hydrogen, except the, the, only, the, the, the problem in Canada is... Uh, they don't like to build pipelines either. You can't have, you can't deliver hydrogen without a pipe. No, you can't. And you can't put it through regular pipelines. See, the, uh, there's a thing called hydro, hydrogen embrittlement. The hydrogen is a very small molecule and it tends to uh, 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 damage pipelines over time, damage seams. Uh, they can't put it, a lot of people have said, well, we'll put it through the natural gas pipelines, but you can only put up to like 15% of it before you, you start causing problems. Uh, and if you want to ship it overseas, uh, it's very, very expensive. You have to either uh, put it under huge pressures to liquefy it, or you have to make it very, very cold. Those take large amounts of energy. Um, so hydrogen is, is difficult to transport. Uh, the other thing about hydrogen is it's, it's very expensive today. Uh, well, I guess I should take a step back first. We're going to go on with hydrogen for a moment. Sure. Yes. So most hydrogen today is made by natural gas, or in China they make it with coal, uh, coal gasification, and it's it uh, it doesn't exist in nature uh, naturally. It's always in a molecule, but it's pretty cheap actually. It's about a dollar per kilogram. But we have many people saying, well, we need to make green hydrogen by electrolysis. We need to take water and split that, uh, split those water molecules apart and capture the hydrogen, that would be very green. Problem with that is it's very expensive. Uh, it, it, just for an example, to do just one kilogram of hydrogen from electrolysis requires about two days worth of electricity in a typical US house, one single kilogram. Today it costs five times as much as hydrogen from natural gas. And, but people, boy, we've got literally uh, tens of billions of dollars going into hydrogen programs around the world. Uh, they think they're going to run the world on hydrogen. <laughs> uh, just another thing that's, that's not, uh, uh, you know, and again, supported by huge subsidies, but I don't think the market's going to develop for this. We'll just have to see. It, it seems pretty apparent this is all doomed to failure. Maybe that's the intention. Maybe they want to take us to a new, the new dark ages. Uh, part of, I don't know. It's well, they, command. They have, this, they have this goal. Um, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change and the rest of the world has adopted this goal of a maximum temperature rise of 1.5 degrees Celsius since uh, early industrial levels. But we're already at about one degree, so there's not very much room left. And so they say we have to be net zero emissions by 2050, uh, which means that um, uh, A, you can't emit very much and what you do emit, you have to offset with capture. But this is, this is crazy. Uh, people should realize there's nothing in this world that is net zero. I like to use just a, a building as an example. Um, you know, if you, if you put, uh, build a building out of steel or wood, uh, you put copper in it, you put ceramic in it, you put windows in it, uh, you put concrete in it. All those things require and emit carbon dioxide to be produced and transported. Even a grass hut isn't zero emissions. If you cut down the grass and cut down the wood to build a hut, you've released carbon dioxide. So this, this whole zero carbon thing, I think net zero is going to become a hated term within the next couple of decades. It already is in the United Kingdom. But it's just something that's impossible. But uh, again, yeah, they, they're trying all these things like carbon capture and storage, hydrogen fuel, all these all these things they can think of to try and get to net zero, uh, just not going to be able to happen. Uh, do you think, though, that enough people will wake up? I read a poll today, 20% of uh, people in the United Kingdom uh, are not concerned. They don't buy into the climate, climatism, which I guess is an encouraging sign. I'd like to see it higher than 20%, but it's a start. I'll take it. But do no. you see... Uh, do you see ultimately kind of a populist revolt uh, against this and through the ballot box maybe um, uh, people are, you know, like for example, you've got the uh, the presidential election cycle heating up and uh, yeah. Vivek Ramaswamy um, is, is um, 
talking, he's running for uh, the Republican nomination, talking about, you know, we've got to get rid of this climate hysteria. That's one of the pillars in his campaign. Uh, yeah, and he uses, he uses the word climatism, and so has Mr. Trump, which is really what this is. It's, yeah. a, it's a fear, it's an ideology. And uh, um, as I say in my new book, the, the Green Breakdown, the world is not going to get close to this because we're going to have uh, we're going to have blackouts in electricity systems. We're going to have rising electricity rates. Uh, we're going to have huge land areas. Uh, so these things are going to be opposed in many, many locations. Um, uh, New England is another one. New England right now in, in uh, New York state, they cut off all natural gas pipelines uh, to New England. They haven't built any for a decade now. So New England is literally importing liquefied natural gas. Uh, they made headlines, they imported some from Russia a year or two ago. But, but so they're paying the world price for, for liquefied natural gas, just like Europe. And so their utility rates are way, way up, both to heat your home and, and electricity. And when you start having more and more blackouts, like we've seen in Texas and California, people are going to say, you know, this isn't really working too well. Uh, we need to have a reliable electricity system. We need to get the price down. By the way, <laughs> California is now the second most expensive state for electricity in the country. In the last three years, they passed all the New England states. They, they sit behind Hawaii. Everybody else has less expensive. Alaska is less expensive than, than uh, California right now for electricity. So uh, people are only going to go so far with this. And eventually they're going to move out of the state. They're going to say, you got to do something else. Uh, it, it, what is being proposed just isn't possible and doesn't make sense. And again, the bottom line is this: these uh, trillions we're spending are not going to have a measurable effect on global temperatures anyway. So uh, it's going to be real interesting to watch this roll out. Yes, uh, and it could have deadly consequences. I mean, people will, let's keep in mind, more people uh, die from the cold than they do from the heat. People freeze to death. Uh, uh, Absolutely. And uh, that's that's our, it's a pretty bleak future. If we keep heading down uh, this, this path towards uh, renewable energy, um, Green Breakdown, The Coming Renewable Energy Failure. That's the new one due out August 1st from Steve Gorham, available on Amazon and hopefully wherever good books are sold. Uh, yes, sir. Steve, great speaking with you again. Thank you so much. Thank you, Richard. Uh, until the next time. A new Richard Serrett's Strange Planet drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Subscribe at strangeplanetpodcast.com.